Hey everybody, thanks again for joining us for today's SCF Online. Uh, we really counted a privilege to be able to spend this time with you in this um, digital space. And we've been praying for you this week, praying that uh, God would encourage you, that God would, um, you know, for all of us, really equip us uh, through this time to be, um, you know, followers of Jesus, whose lives really uh, reflect the values of his kingdom. And so thank you for investing time today. Back in the fall of 2019, um, really at the beginning of September of 2019, Pastor Dave did a teaching series called, Hey, That's Me. And the tagline for that was Finding Your Fit. And in that series, I think it was five or six parts, uh, Dave talked about how all of us as uh, individual followers of Jesus, we've each been uniquely gifted by the Spirit. We've been uniquely wired by God. We've all got different skill sets. We've all had uh, unique experiences. We all have unique passions, and each of us bring different things to the table in terms of serving Jesus and his kingdom. And in that series, Dave walked through some scriptures. He showed us some examples of people who served Jesus, some in upfront uh, ways, others in behind-the-scenes ways, some, uh, you know, some serving Jesus as, as planners and uh, strategic leaders, visionary leaders, and others as more doers and followers and caregivers and so on. And the idea is that for each of us, for each of us, we've got a role to play, and it's a unique role. There is only one you. And so your role in the body of Christ is unique to you. And to the extent that you don't find your fit, to use Dave's language, to the extent that you don't find your fit, well, the entire body will suffer to that extent. But man, oh man, when you do find your fit, when you find your niche where your passion is ignited and you find your unique fit in the, in the church of Jesus, in the body of Christ, well, then the whole body thrives to that extent and you yourself thrive in your discipleship journey. You know, sometimes pastors um, get perceived as people who, who want service from others. And if I've ever given that impression that I want service from people, uh, I apologize for that. That is not the case. I want service for people. I want service for you because it is such a crucial and life-giving uh, component of your discipleship journey, one that just... Um, Boy, it just uh, impacts beautifully the entire body as you find your fit. And so for today and next Sunday as well, I kind of want to piggyback on what Dave said in that sermon series back in the fall of 2019. And so, in fact, I would encourage you if you've got some time, uh, don't do it right now, but uh, if you've got some time, I'd encourage you to hop onto our website, sobblechurch.ca. Uh, all the past sermons are archived there, and you'd be able to find that teaching series of Dave's, Hey, That's Me, Finding Your Fit. 
I'd encourage you to check that out. Um, it will bless you, it will encourage you, but it will challenge you. It's a challenging series. And so uh, today and next week, uh, we're gonna have just a little two-parter that we're simply calling teamwork. And uh, what I'll present this morning uh, and next week as well is really the compilation of eight months of board devotions. Uh, so over the last eight months at our board meetings, we've shared in um, devotionals this uh, content. And so what we're doing is taking eight months of devotional material and um, compressing it down into two weeks of, of sermon material. Specifically, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. And so if you have a Bible handy, that would be great to have that opened up or turned on. Um, and maybe if you have a notepad or a piece of paper and a pen, that would be a handy thing to have uh, ready as well. We're going to be looking at Colossians 4, specifically verses 7 through 14. And in those verses, what Paul is doing is he's paying tribute to his team. He's uh, calling out uh, a shout out to uh, the people who uh, stuck by him, the people who uh, helped him in ministry, and not just helped him, but these are people without whom Paul's ministry wouldn't be possible. He couldn't do what he did without uh, this team. Uh, Paul couldn't do it by himself. Nobody can, uh, not even Paul. You know, if anybody on earth could have done it all by themselves, it would have been Paul, but he couldn't and he didn't, and so we can't and we shouldn't. It's about teamwork. And you know, you can, um, if you read through the book of Acts and you track Paul's life and the mission journeys through the book of Acts, you might come to the erroneous conclusion that he operated kind of like a lone wolf, like one man against the world for Jesus. Um, or sometimes we might think that he operated maybe with one other or with two others, like a Silas or a Barnabas or something, but uh, Paul operated in a team, and it's a larger team that I think maybe we've um, imagined before. Paul has a team without which he couldn't do what he did. It's, his, it's like his small group. It's like the people with whom he does life and ministry, and he couldn't have done it without them. Now, as I mentioned, we're going to be in Colossians 4. We're going to look at verses 7 to 14, and I'm going to read them in just a moment. Um, but, you know, to be honest, Colossians 4, 7 to 14 are, are usually the verses we skip over. You know, it's, it's at the end of the letter. It just seems like a bunch of personal stuff that Paul is kind of throwing in, that it's really not for us. It's kind of just specific to him and the, uh, the Colossians to whom he's writing. Um, and so we just kind of skip over it. And, you know, we might look at the... At, just glance at it briefly and see that like the first guy's name in line is Tychicus and we're like, who's that? And, uh, you know, we just kind of skip over it. But we shouldn't skip over these verses. There's, um, there's some rich uh, material here for us. And so we shouldn't skip over it and we won't uh, skip over it. And so we'll look at Paul's team, these friends of his, his teammates, without whom he could not have done what he did. And I'm hoping that as we go through this study this week and next, 
that will do so um, recognizing something that to me is both kind of terrifying and kind of exciting all at the same time. Terrifying to me is this, that the local church in February of 2022, the local church, including Sobel Christian Fellowship, as well as thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of other churches in Canada and the United States and, and uh, maybe elsewhere, that the local church in February of 2022 is entirely different from the local church of February 2020. Entirely different, almost not recognizable. And you know, I liked the church of February 2020 a lot. I was really comfortable with it. I'd like to go back to that, but the problem is you can't go back to normal when normal no longer exists. The church of 2020 doesn't exist anymore. We can't go back to that even if we wanted to. And to me, there's something terrifying about that. And so we, you know, here we are recognizing that as the local church moves out of its kind of pandemic phase into more of an endemic way of doing life and ministry, in a very real sense, we will be over the next months and years, in fact, rebuilding. But not, again, not rebuilding what was. We'll be rebuilding with the awareness that God is doing something new. God is doing something new in this season. And that's where the excitement comes in. That's where the exhilaration comes in. And you know what? The excitement and the exhilaration far outweighs um, what makes me uncomfortable or even prone to be fearful. God is doing a new thing. And, 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 and we're seeing that. And it's gonna be super exciting to be able to, you know, partner with God in this new thing that he's doing. You know, God's word is still true. The Holy Spirit is moving. The gospel of Jesus Christ is still good news. And I am more convinced than ever that the local church is the hope of the world. The local church in both its in-person and digital expressions. And those are words I never thought I would say 24 months ago. And so I'm excited about that. And uh, the mission is still the same. The mission is still the same. And so we're gonna go out in the authority of Jesus. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so we're gonna go out in the authority of Jesus and make disciples and baptize and teach. And we're gonna help people to know God and become like Jesus and change our world. And Jesus promised his abiding presence with us, with us as we do that. He said, I'll be with you right to the end of the age. And so, yeah, there's, uh, you know, there's some nervousness as we think about going forward in this rebuilding mode and sensing this new thing that God is doing. But there's such excitement. There's such excitement about the uh, opportunity to partner with God in the beautiful work of seeing the kingdom of Jesus uh, grow. And, you know, today, more than at any other time in my experience in ministry, 
I sense more than ever that we need all hands on deck. We need pump, uh, people jumping in and engaging in teamwork uh, for the kingdom of Jesus. Engaging in teamwork both, um, both in person and digitally. And so, you know, here we are in this uh, SCF online virtual gathering, this is, is not going away. So as we go into an endemic way of doing ministry, we're not gonna somehow uh, diminish this or cancel this. No, this, we're committed to this. And uh, we wanna learn to do this better and better and better as we go forward with God's help and with your help. We wanna learn to engage with people and learn what does it mean to, to assist people in their discipleship journey uh, when our connection is, is digital. How do, we, uh, how do we engage with people? How do we connect and how do we help people connect with others in this digital world? And that's part of the new thing God's doing and, and God will help us and uh, you know, uh, we, we, we can help each other uh, in this as well. So I'm excited about that. Well, I'm gonna read uh, the verses. Um, as I read these uh, verses, we'll see that the names of Paul's teammates are in yellow, so uh, we'll be able to, to see that. And I mentioned that it might be good to have a, a piece of paper and a pen handy with you. And I would suggest, as we look at Paul's teammates and, and some of their stories and some of their characteristics, I would encourage you just maybe even to keep a little list of characteristics of good teammates um, that, you, that might come to your mind as we, as we look through these verses and as we talk about these stories. Maybe uh, just keep your own list. Well, let's read these verses. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you, and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas, send greetings. That's Colossians 4, 7 to, to 14. So in those uh, verses, I think eight verses, we see eight teammates that are mentioned by Paul. And uh, so I want to look at these eight teammates. We're just going to look at three of them uh, today, and then we'll look at the other five next week. But again, we want to note the, the characteristics of great teammates in the work of Jesus. So first of all, we want to talk about Tychicus. Tychicus is 
uh, is a guy who's mentioned only five times in the entire New Testament, and each time that he's mentioned, it's really, really brief. The first time that he's mentioned is in Acts 20 and verse 4. And in Acts 20, Paul is in Ephesus. Uh, his third missionary journey is winding down. He's been in Ephesus for about three years. And Paul, at the end of this third missionary journey, he's got a plan in mind. He wants to go back to Jerusalem. But before he goes back to Jerusalem, he wants to go through Macedonia and he wants to visit uh, the major Gentile churches of Macedonia, which are uh, the Thessalonians, the Corinthians, and the Philippians. So he wants to go to those three Gentile churches of Gentile Christians. And what Paul wants to do there is to take a collection. He wants to receive a love offering from these Gentile Christians that he can then take with him when he travels to Jerusalem and that he can give those love offerings to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And Paul wants to return to Jerusalem because it's on his heart as much as possible to really try to be a unifying force, bringing um, Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians together. Because at this early point in, the, in church history, um, you know, there's, there's Gentile Christians and they're over here. They've got their deal over there and there's Jewish Christians and, and they've got their deal over here, but there's nothing uh, connecting um, these two bodies of Jesus followers. And so Paul's whole message is one of unity. And Paul said in Galatians 3.28, and, and we're going to have this verse on the TV in just a, a couple of minutes, but let me just mention it. Galatians 3.28 is where Paul says that in Christ, there is no Jew and Gentile. There is no male and female. There is no slave and free. In, in Christ... There's no racism, there's no misogyny, there's no uh, exploitation of people in Christ. And so Paul's message is one of unity in the body of Christ. And Paul wants that message to grow and to develop more and more. And so in Acts 20, he intends on leaving Ephesus and uh, going to these Gentile congregations in Macedonia and collecting this offering this love offering from them and then taking it to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem as a demonstration of love. A demonstration of love that Paul hopes helps build unity. But Paul um, didn't merely want to just take money from these Gentile congregations. What he wanted to do was to actually take some Gentile Christians with him as well. Paul's thinking that if he could take some Gentile Christians from these three congregations, that if there were some Gentile Christians who would accompany him on his trip to Jerusalem, that, that these Gentile Christians could personally express in their own words and in their own voice their love for their brothers and sisters uh, who are Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, that they could personally express their love as brothers and sisters and their desire for unity in the body of Jesus and that these Gentile Christians could themselves hand this uh, tangible expression of love, this uh, financial love offering to their Jewish brothers and sisters. And so in Acts chapter 20 in verse 4, 
there's this very short list of names. Names uh, of, of people from these three churches, Thessalonica, Philippi, and Corinth, a very short list of names who would indeed accompany Paul on this trip to Jerusalem. And one of the names on that very short list is Tychicus. And you know, this tells us a little bit about this guy already, doesn't it? He's an adventurer, he's bold, he's committed to the unity of the body of Jesus, he's committed to love, he wants to personally affirm the worth of his Jewish brothers and sisters at cost to himself. You know, he's willing to leave his home, his town, his friends, his church, and to set out with Paul on a trip that would be very long, uh, thousands of kilometers, a trip that would be very difficult and likely very dangerous. Tychicus has a servant's heart and he's brave. He's brave, we know that because um, as Paul and, and these Jewish Christians make their way to Jerusalem, every city they stop at, there are people issuing dire warnings to Paul saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Whatever you do, don't go to Jerusalem. They hate you there. Terrible things will happen to you if you go to Jerusalem. But despite all of those warnings, uh, not one of Paul's uh, team um, bail out on this trip. And so, you know, Paul, uh, he goes to these uh, three churches in Macedonia, Philippi, Corinth, and Thessalonica, receives this love offering, and they beautifully give generously of their, um, of their finances. But, you know, even more than that, you think of a guy like Tychicus, who not only gives financially, but he gives himself. There's something amazing and beautiful about that. And so, uh, later on, when Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians, uh, Tychicus is still with him. And it's now about four years later. So four years goes by between the time that Paul kind of recruits Tychicus to go on this journey. Uh, four years has passed to this point where Paul is now uh, finishing uh, his last thoughts in this letter to the Colossians. And keep in mind that as Paul writes the letter to the Colossians, he's doing so all the way from Rome. He's under house arrest in Rome, and his house arrest was two full years. He was uh, probably chained to guards in a, in a house arrest kind of situation. He could not leave. And Tychicus, this guy, stays with Paul uh, through that. He sticks by him. And so what Paul has in mind is... Um, he wants to, to finish off this letter to the Colossians, kind of fold it up, hand it to Tychicus and say, Tychicus, I want you to deliver this letter to the church in Colossae. And so um, Tychicus is called upon to, to literally hand deliver this letter. And you might think, oh, awesome. That would be just a great road trip uh, for Tychicus. And, and maybe it was, but you know what that trip would have entailed? Um, by the way, if um, I would encourage all of you, if you don't have a, a good Bible atlas or know how to find one online, or if you don't have a good, uh, like a good study Bible with good maps in the back, I'd encourage you to get one. 
it's, it's a really helpful thing if you look in those maps, and sometimes they're very specific. You might even find a map that is just unique to Paul's third missionary journey. To be able to watch um, these and to visualize these journeys that a guy like Tychicus takes, it's incredible, like incredible. So for Tychicus, uh, remember, Paul's writing this letter from Rome, and Tychicus is with him in Rome, Italy. And, and if you can imagine Italy, like the boot uh, shape of Italy, I think Rome is kind of in the center of that boot, kind of to the west side. Um, so Tychicus, to, to deliver that letter, has to cross Italy on foot. Then he's got to sail the Adriatic. Then he's got to cross Greece on foot. Then he's got to sail the Aegean. Then he would land at the, at the uh, port city of Miletus. And from there, he would have to climb a very steep, um, the Lycus River Valley. Uh, and then he would go inland to Laodicea and ultimately to Colossae. A very, very dangerous trip, a very difficult trip, a very long trip. And you know, if Tychicus had bailed out halfway on that trip, uh, your New Testament and mine would be a little bit lighter. We'd be missing the letter to the Colossians. But you know what? Tychicus didn't just have the letter to the Colossians with him. He had a second letter with him as well, the letter to the Ephesians. And uh, here's what Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 6, verses 21 and 22. He says, Tychicus, same guy, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord will tell you everything so that you also know, uh, that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. That sounds very, very familiar to what we just read in Colossians chapter four. And so Tychicus didn't just have the letter to the Colossians tucked inside his jacket pocket. He also had the letter to the Ephesians. And so if, if he had bailed out on this trip, uh, our New Testament would be significantly lighter, missing both Colossians and Ephesians. And incidentally, something that I think is, is interesting, the, the letter to the Ephesians was not just intended for the church at Ephesus. It was really a letter that was designed to be read in many churches. In fact, some of the earliest transcripts of Ephesians uh, kind of start like this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints who are in blank. And there was a blank spot in that letter because it was really like one of the earliest form letters, um, you know, where you would actually pencil in or pen in the, uh, the recipient to whom it's being read. We know it as the letter to the Ephesians, and certainly it was intended to be read in Ephesus, but as you read the book of Ephesians, there's nothing really specific about the Ephesians in it. It's a general letter to many churches, and so it would be read in Hierapolis and Laodicea and, and Colossae and, and Ephesus and, and other places. And so uh, Paul, or Tychicus rather, has, has the letter to the Colossians, has the letter to the Ephesians with him, so he's got two letters. But wait, there's more. Sounds like a late night infomercial. Um, Paul, or Tychicus, actually has a third letter with him, and it's the letter to Philemon. If you look at verse nine, Colossians four, verse nine, it says that he, uh, Tychicus, is coming with Onesimus. 
Now, Onesimus was a runaway slave from Colossae who was returning to Colossae. And so the book of Philemon is written all about Onesimus. It's written all about this runaway slave. And we'll talk more about Onesimus in just a moment. So you can imagine, off goes Tychicus from Rome with three letters in his pocket, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. Do you think Paul trusted this guy? Absolutely. Absolutely, Paul trusted Tychicus. He trusted him not only to deliver these letters, but he trusted that when he did deliver these letters, uh, Paul says in, in uh, you know, Colossians 4, 7, and 8, he says that when Tychicus arrives, he's going re- to provide a report for you, and he's going to encourage your hearts. It tells you something else about Tychicus. He was an encourager. And so Paul, uh, you know, Paul describes Tychicus. If you look at Colossians 4, verse 7, there's three things that he says about Tychicus there. One, he says he's a dear brother, a dear brother. You know, if I, if I was with Paul day in and day out for four years, and at the end of those four years, Paul's assessment of me was that I was a dear brother. Man, I'd be okay with that. The second thing Paul says about Tychicus is that he's a, a faithful minister. That word minister is the word diakonos. We see that used quite often in the New Testament. It, it, it's often just translated servant. And in fact, in Acts 6, it's a word that's used to describe uh, table waiters. It's, it's very uh, hands-on kind of service. And so really Paul is saying of Tychicus, he's a, he's a very uh, faithful servant to me and to the ministry. And the third thing Paul says about Tychicus is he's a fellow servant. That word servant there is, is, uh, is the word doulos. It really speaks of a slave. In fact, the word that Paul uses here is soon doulos. And it's like, it's like Paul has said of Tychicus that, he's a, that he's, a, he's a great servant. He's a real helper to me in the ministry, but he and I together are fellow slaves of Jesus. It's pretty astounding uh, description of Tychicus. Well, let's move on and talk about Onesimus just for a moment. Uh, the book of Colossians that we're looking at here was a letter written by Paul to the church at Colossae. And the letter to Philemon was written to one family in that Colossian church. It was the family of Philemon. And Philemon was no doubt one of the leaders in the Colossian church. Um, We know that the church in Colossae met in Philemon's home. Philemon was someone that Paul had previously led to Christ. Philemon was wealthy. He was a slave owner. And one of the slaves of Philemon was named Onesimus. And apparently Onesimus didn't care much for being a slave. And he uh, ran away but not before stealing a bunch of stuff from Philemon before he ran. And so in this uh, culture, when runaway slaves were um, apprehended, they were not merely returned to the place from where they ran um, and slapped on the wrist, they were executed. Runaway slaves were executed. And so you can see that this 
this is at great risk uh, to finally to uh, Onesimus rather. And the amazing thing is, Onesimus runs away from the household of Philemon, which is in Colossae, and he runs, strangely enough, all the way to Rome. He kind of does the opposite trek to what Tychicus would have done delivering these letters. And Onesimus, the runaway slave, runs steals from Philemon and then runs off to Rome. And in this culture, at this time, Rome was not a small city. It was about two million people, even in this first century. And it is amazing to think, and this is really the sovereignty of God, that um, Onesimus in this huge city of Rome, who does he run into but Paul? And Paul leads Onesimus to Christ. And um, so now Paul writes a letter to Philemon about Onesimus. And Paul basically says, you know, dear Philemon, Onesimus ran away from you as a slave and a thief, but he's coming back to you now. And he's coming back to you as a brother. So welcome him back as a brother. In fact, in, in the verse nine, Paul describes Onesimus as a faithful and dear brother. And I mentioned a few moments ago, um, Galatians 3.28, so here it is on the screen. Paul wrote, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes to Philemon saying, you know, Philemon, welcome Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And in the letter to Philemon, I encourage you to read it. It's just one chapter. I think it's 25 verses. It's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. Just take you a couple of minutes to read it. And in that letter, Paul appeals to Philemon on the basis of love. And he refers in there to uh, Onesimus as his son. It's, it's beautiful language. Paul, Paul says he's in my heart. In fact, Paul, in that letter to Philemon, Paul says that he, he would have loved to have kept Onesimus with him because he says he was so helpful to Paul in ministry, so helpful to Paul while Paul was imprisoned in Rome. You know, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Um, it's really a theme verse for our denominational family, which is the Be in Christ Church of Canada. And as we read the verse, you'll see why it's a very appropriate verse for our denomination. If any person be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away and everything is new. And I'm sure that every day that Onesimus was with Paul, that Onesimus was just like this living reminder to Paul about the truth of this verse of scripture the beauty of the new creation, that the old is gone. You know, Onesimus was a, was a runaway, was a thief, but now he's a new creation in Christ. So Philemon, welcome him back as a brother. You know, one, one more uh, quick, but I think very cool thing about Onesimus is um, there was a letter written by a guy named Ignatius. And uh, it was a letter written it just, just after the New Testament era. And Ignatius is, a, is an early church father. 
And uh, he was a pastor of the church in Smyrna, which we read about in the New Testament and in Revelation 2 and 3. Uh, so Ignatius, as the pastor of the church in Smyrna, writes a letter um, to the Colossian church. And in that letter, he writes to the Colossian church and he talks about the much-loved pastor of the Colossian church, a guy named Onesimus. And it's just amazing to me to think this journey of Onesimus from slave, thief, runaway, made a new creation in Christ, returns to Colossae, returns to Philemon, but not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And then he becomes Philemon's pastor. That's crazy. Only the gospel, only the gospel of Jesus Christ is so radical to be able to bring about that kind of transformation from what from runaway slave to pastor. Well, let's uh, quickly talk about the next guy, and, and we'll finish up with this guy for today, Aristarchus. Paul, um, in Colossians 4, refers to Aristarchus as my fellow prisoner. Aristarchus is a Jew, but he's got a Greek name, so it can be a little bit confusing, but it wasn't all that uncommon for Jews to have Greek names. Uh, Jews that had been dispersed because of, the, because of persecution would often be given uh, Greek names. And I began this talk uh, today talking about when Paul was in Ephesus, and he was in Ephesus for three years um, on his third missionary journey. And during that time, this guy, Aristarchus, was with Paul. He was with Paul in Ephesus way back um, in those days. And if you um, if you read in Acts 19, you, you would be reading about Paul in Ephesus and you would read about this riot that takes place in Ephesus. And, and it's a pretty exciting chapter and I encourage you to read it. But um, the, the city just goes crazy and the mob um, grabs Aristarchus and Gaius and kind of roughs them up. Uh, and so, you know, Aristarchus has history with Paul right back into Ephesus, and he's a guy who, you know, even as he's grabbed and roughed up, you can tell that this is a friend of Paul's who's uh, sticking with Paul through thick and thin. If you uh, fast forwarded to Acts chapter 27, you would read about Paul. Uh, once again, he's a prisoner in Acts chapter 27, and he's being transported aboard a prison ship, and this prison ship um, hits ground and it's uh, shipwrecked and everybody has to swim for it. And Paul has to swim for it. And guess who's with Paul on that prison ship? Aristarchus. He's with him. He's still with him. You know, there's this expression about fair weather friends, right? Well, Aristarchus is a, like he's a bad weather friend. He just sticks with Paul no matter what. And I love the term that Paul uses to describe Aristarchus in verse 10. He refers to him as my fellow prisoner, my fellow prisoner. Was Aristarchus a prisoner? No, he wasn't. Was he arrested? No, he wasn't arrested. He just willingly stays with Paul and cares for Paul during Paul's imprisonment. And so Paul calls him a fellow prisoner, even though he's really not a prisoner. And the Greek 
term that is translated my fellow prisoner is really uh, rich with meaning. It literally means one caught with a spear. One caught with a spear. Not caught with a spear in the sense of I'm trying to hide my spear and oops, I got caught with my spear. No, it's, it's, it's kind of in, I guess our, the vernacular would be uh, one who's willing to take a bullet, right? That's the idea. Here's Aristarchus. He's willing to be caught with a spear. He's willing to be caught up as collateral damage for the sake of the gospel. And uh, he's willing to place himself in harm's way for the sake of the gospel, willingly doing so. And Paul needed him. Aristarchus loved Paul. And he's willing to get caught by a spear for Paul, willing to take a bullet. Aristarchus really, um, maybe as well as any character in the New Testament, models uh, sympathy. Sum patheo, sum together with patheo from pathos, meaning to suffer. He models what it is to suffer with someone, to suffer with someone willingly, to suffer with someone and to meet needs at one's own expense. That's, that's what Aristarchus uh, does. Aristarchus is a burden bearer. He's not, uh, he's not preaching sermons. He's not delivering letters. He's there uh, present with Paul in good times and bad, willing to take a bullet, willing to, willing to uh, limit his own personal freedoms to participate with Paul in his imprisonments. It's, it's astounding. Well, we're going to leave it there for today, but let's just do a quick review of what we've seen. So Paul, uh, Paul's not a lone wolf. No one can do it alone, not even Paul. Paul was surrounded by a team without whom he could not have done what he did. And we looked at uh, just three of these eight teammates uh, today. We'll look at the other five next week. But today we looked at Tychicus, servant, brave, generous, committed to unity in the church, committed to agape, affirming the worth of others at cost to himself. Trustworthy committed to unity, in it for the long haul, an encourager, you know, one who sold out to Jesus. Pretty good teammate. And we talked about Onesimus. Here's a guy with, you know, a pretty troubled past, right? He's got some history. Thief, runaway. But Onesimus is a guy who exemplifies the truth that in Christ we're made new. The old is gone. Onesimus from runaway slave to pastor. You know, in Jesus, in Jesus, we're not defined by our past. We're not defined by our sin. We're defined by who we are in Christ. And, and Onesimus is a beautiful picture of that. And then Aristarchus, he's, he's not delivering letters like Tychicus. He's, he doesn't have a crazy backstory that we know of like Onesimus. He's not preaching sermons. He's just a guy. He's just a guy who's faithful to the mission, serving in whatever way is needed, committed through thick and thin, willing to take a bullet. And so next Sunday, we'll check out the, the next five names as Paul identifies um, 
And as we, as we think about the high value of teamwork in the kingdom of Jesus. Well, let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thanks that we can read names in your word like Tychicus and Onesimus and Aristarchus. Not household names at all. Just ordinary people like us. Thanks that we can become acquainted with these wonderful teammates of Paul. Three very different people with different stories, different backgrounds, each recipients of your outrageous love and saving grace, each bringing different qualities and attributes to the table in service to Jesus and his kingdom. And perhaps the greatest ability of these three is simply their availability to be used for the kingdom of Jesus in whatever way, Father, that you decided. And so as we consider these three servants and their unique examples, God, would you begin to stir our hearts to inspire us as to creative ways in which we can offer ourselves in service to you to advance the kingdom and to together as teammates, Lift high the matchless name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. See you next time.